Whenever I look at the world today, I see that a lot of people are having an identity crisis, right? Do you get what I'm saying, like an identity crisis? I remember when I was a kid, I would see like my aunts and uncles, and they were having a midlife crisis. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? And I was like, what does that mean? It's like, I don't know, he's just going crazy. And when you look at the world, what is the world doing? It's going crazy. So this morning, uh, you know, I'm at the River Community Church. I was in my office, and I was coming out, and one of the kids' rooms on a table was these, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Mr. Potato Heads, right? Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Mr. Potato Head. And it had the body and all of these accessories. And you know what we're trying to do as a culture? We're trying to change all of our accessories so we can say who and what we are. Does that make sense? But the thing is, as followers of Christ, we don't get to determine our identity. The Bible determines our identity. In the beginning, God determined our identity. And the thing is, is our identity is really everything. Everything that we are flows out of our identity. Our purposes, our passions, our mission flow out of our identity. Some of us in this room have an identity of being a father. Raise your hand if you're a father. So your purpose assigned by your identity as a father flows out of that because if you're not a father, you don't have a purpose of a father. Mothers, raise your hand. And then kids, so let me get everybody. If you're a kid, maybe you're not a mom or a dad, but you're a kid, raise your hand. Your identity establishes and presses out your purposes. And so what I want us to see this morning is our purpose and our mission and any type of thing that we do should flow out of our identity because when it doesn't, it ends in tragedy. It ends in tragedy. So let me just give you a, an example. You know, churches, a lot of times we do a lot of good stuff. We do a really, really, we just do a ton of good stuff. And all that good stuff requires that the people of God assist in the work of God, right? But how many times do we see people throw their hands up and they say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm burned out. You know why that happens? Because they're not following their purpose, which is rooted in their identity. They're just doing work. Because whenever we are operating out of our identity, we don't get burnt out. Because our identity is found in Christ, and Christ does not burn out. And so what I want us to do today from the Word of God, we're going to look at a couple different places, is we're, we're going to see that as we are called to be on mission with God, we must be rooted in our identity. We have to be founded on the Scripture, and we have to be led by the Spirit. And when those three things take place, we can be committed to the core missionary task. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 16 and 17. While, while you're turning there, if you have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen as well. Uh, just kind of lay out what's been happening. So in, in Matthew, how does Matthew start? Matthew chapter 1 is, uh, who, who's ever skipped Matthew chapter 1? Yeah, thank you. My brother up front's honest. It's the genealogy of Jesus. And then Matthew chapter 2, we kind of get into uh, the birth of Jesus. And then Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is getting ready 
to be baptized. He goes to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Like, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, hey, we've got to do this to fulfill righteousness. And I don't pretend to understand what that means, but that's what Jesus said. And then in verse 16, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So this is before Jesus does any ministry, okay? Nothing's been done as far as ministry. He's lived for 30 years. We don't have a lot of detail of what was going on, but we know he's not started proclaiming the kingdom yet because that's yet to come. And so I think it's very, very important that we look at, okay, what came before Jesus launched out in ministry. The first thing that we see is the Spirit of God would come upon Jesus. And you may be thinking, well, why did God the Son need God the Spirit? I don't know why, but what it clearly shows us is we can't launch out on mission. We can't do the work of God without the Spirit of God. We just can't do it. Jesus shows us that example, and if you remember in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus is getting ready to leave, he says, wait, right? You will receive power, then you will be my witnesses. So we can't launch out apart from the work of the Spirit in us. The second thing we see, we've been talking about identity and how we've screwed up our identity. We see Jesus's identity established. We see his identity established. It's not that it wasn't established before the creation of the world, but it is shown to us, to the public. It says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So we see Jesus' identity established. And don't overlook the fact, once we start looking at the Gospels and we start looking for the identity of Jesus, we see it all over the place. Let's just look at the Gospels really quickly. In Matthew, we already said it started with genealogy. In Mark, Mark 1.1 1, 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's establishing his identity. Then we have John, the gospel of John, which is kind of like you know, a little weird um, because it starts really weird. But you know what the, all of John 1's about? It's about the identity of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And then John 1.14, it says, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John ends his book to tell us why he wrote John, and he says, this is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, man, before Jesus launched out, he was all about what? The Spirit, he was being led by the Spirit, and it was his identity that was established. And so before we go any further, I think we need to make sure that everyone in the room understands the identity of Jesus, because this is, this is paramount in our understanding. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus is the one that was before all things, and that in him all things were created, and all things were held together in him. Because the thing is, if that's not who Jesus is, Jesus has no authority to save. And the thing is, we've got to understand that we need to rightly understand who Jesus is and what he is capable of doing because, honestly, we are 
apart from Christ, at war with God. We have rebelled against God. And on our own, we lose. We lose, right? There's nothing that we can do. So if Jesus isn't God, he can't save. Because our war is with God, the one who is over all, above all, creator of all, all powerful. How could merely us do anything against God? The only way that could happen is if we were saved from God's wrath by God. So if Jesus isn't God, he can't save us from God's wrath. So it's important to understand Jesus' identity that he is God. So now, we come back to this idea, okay, Jesus gets baptized, the Spirit, his identity. What does the Spirit do once he's in Jesus? Well, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 that the Spirit leads him to the wilderness. What happens in the wilderness? So the temptation comes in the wilderness. So first thing, we see Jesus' identity established. Then we see Jesus' identity challenged. We think about, okay, when we think about the temptation, we think that Jesus is primarily being tempted to sin, which is true. But what I want you to see is we're going to look at this passage. It was more than Jesus to sin. It was an attack at his identity. So in verse, uh, let, me just, let me just read this, man. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Anybody just like laughs? It's like, I didn't eat for 40 days and I'm hungry. Yeah. And the tempter came and said to him, if, this is key, if you are the Son of God. Satan is challenging his identity. He says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What does Jesus say? It is written. Okay, here, here's all these pieces coming together. We have to be rooted in our identity. Why? Because Satan is going to tempt us to doubt our identity. We have to be led by the Spirit. And understand, sometimes the, the Spirit is leading us to the wilderness, but then we have to be firmly rooted in the Word. Why? Because that's what we see our Savior using as an example. This is how you battle that. He says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And look what Satan does, ready? For it is written. He's taken the word of God, but what does he do? He distorts it. He twists it. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So what we see is attack on Jesus' identity again, if you are the Son of God. And then he takes the Word of God, and what does he do? He twists it. It's a partial truth. It's not that it's untrue. It's misapplied. And the thing that I am fearful of is there are so many people in the name of Jesus twisting the Word of God for their own benefit, for the benefit of whatever it else is. But the thing is, that is a work of Satan. You can say, well, are you sure? Well, I'm pretty sure that Satan knows the word of God and Satan twists the word of God. If we go back to the fall, the root of everything in Genesis chapter 3, you know what Satan said then? Did God really say that you could not that you eat of every tree? 
is just taking the word of God and twisting it. Now, the thing is, is, is I don't want to give Satan very much credit because uh, the Bible does call him crafty, but he is not clever or creative. He does the same thing over and over and over again. So let's pick back up. Jesus said to him, oh, wait, wait, wait. Again, it is written. He's like, hey, get your, get your theology right. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So again, this looks like not necessarily attack on his identity, but if we understand who Jesus is, is Jesus the king of kings? Does he have a kingdom? Does he desire and deserve the, word, the, the praise of every people? Yes. And so what we see Satan doing is saying, Let's trade your eternal kingdom for a temporal kingdom. That's what he's asking him. Hey, do you want to trade your eternal kingdom for this temporal kingdom? I will give it all to you if you do the thing that your identity doesn't allow you to do. How could God worship anything? God is God. And so it's an attack, again, on his identity. And Jesus comes back to the word. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now only at this point that we see Jesus' identity established, him being led by the Spirit, and then rooted in the word that he launches out into his core missionary task. Because in verse 17, it says, from that time, from that time, which means it was not happening before. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so from that, we see Jesus is then dedicated to the core missionary task. He spends the rest of his life marching towards Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was committed to the core missionary task to give his life. So the thing is, we have to ask the question, how is how does this apply to us today, right? What, what does this mean? Okay, we see Jesus' identity. We see this. What does that mean for us? How does, how does that help us understand how we join God to be on mission with God in our neighborhood and to the nations? I think we clearly need to make sure we identify and establish our identity and that we're firm in our identity, that we're rooted in the scriptures, and the Spirit leads us, only then can we launch out on the core missionary task. So even coming like, hey, do you want to get be part of this ESL ministry? I don't want you to if you're not firm in your identity, if you're not rooted in the word, and you're not being led by the Spirit. Because then I know that it's, you know what, you're not filling a position in my ministry, you're owning your ministry, and I just gave, I just gave you a structure to live it out. Because what we want to do is make sure that you have every opportunity to live out what God's called you to do. And I don't want you to do anything else. I just want you to listen to the Spirit and obey. So, we have to ask the question, what is our identity? We're going to look at one more passage of Scripture to get this answer because it's a beautiful passage where we get an idea of our identity and then what goes along with it? And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
And in verse 17, it says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Okay, so let's stop, stop there for a second. What, what does it mean to be in Christ? And that, that's, like, that's a theologically dense phrase. But in short, it means that you have been united with Christ. That means you have been united with Christ in his life. You have been united in Christ in his death. It means you've been united in Christ in his resurrection. It means that you are being united in Christ in his glory. It means that you are united, you are abiding. If we want to use salvific or salvation terms, you have turned from your ways. You've died to yourself. You've turned to the King of Kings and you surrendered your life to him. That's what it means to be in Christ. So he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say it with me, he is a new creation. So if you are in Christ, you are new. He goes on to say, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, whenever I read that, my mind always goes to Revelation 21. I don't even have it in front of me, but it's, it's this idea where John, seeing the new heaven and new earth, he says, he says, the old has done what? Passed away, that there's a new heaven and a new earth. And, and this is the thing that, man, I just see so much parallelism. He says, God is with his people. That there are no more tears, there's no more sorrow, there's no more death. And that's what we're getting to. This is the idea of a new creation. God is uniting all things in Christ, what it says in Ephesians. So what is our identity? First and foremost, if you are in Christ, if you are united in Christ, you are a new creation. Now, the thing is, about something being new, it says the old has passed away, which means something had to do what? Die. The gospel central, central message is that we die to ourselves so that Christ might live in us. So if you're still after your own agenda, man, we've got to ask the question, are we new? Are we new? Because I can't imagine me having my own agenda, doing everything on my own, and going to the king and saying, oh, yeah, 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 I hear you, but I got this thing over here that I want to do. How, do. how do you think the king responds to that? He is the king of kings. If we were to go to a country that had a legitimate king and we were to say something like that, we would probably be what? Dead. Well, you know, that's what the Bible says. Whenever we act like that, it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. So we are new, but to be new, we have to die to ourselves. You know, Paul says it like this, just in, in, in this passage in verse 14, talking about how he lives his life. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Like what we do comes out of our identification with Christ, but his love controls us. He says, because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. Again, this idea of death. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died was raised. So Paul's saying, it's the love of Christ that controls me because he has died for me. I live my life for him. 
So we are new, but we're not done with our identity yet. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, so just a couple of verses down, it says this, therefore we, who do you think this we is? These people are who in Christ are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So here, here's the, the, the dynamic that I think we miss, right? Everybody's amening. Yes, we are new. Hallelujah. Praise God. We are new if you're in Christ. But you can't separate that from the fact that if you are new, you are an ambassador. You cannot, listen, you cannot be new and not be an ambassador. So we have to think about what is an ambassador? What does an ambassador do? An ambassador is someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. And as the ambassador, I've been given a role and I've been given authority to do something on behalf of the person that I'm representing. And it says pretty much right here what we are to do. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So it is about a verbal proclamation, but catch this, it says God making his appeal through us. So you cannot be new and not be an ambassador. And on the, on the other side, you can't be an ambassador if you're not new. And both of these are hinged on the fact that if you're in Christ or not. So an ambassador, we have to understand what, what type of ambassadorship we have, because right now the world is at war with God. It is a war time. This is not, this is not pleasantry time. We are at war with the world, and God calls you to be his ambassador. So this isn't, hey, all comfort. This is war time. Now, I imagine in a room this size, there are people who have spent time in the armed forces during wartime, and you may have also been during not wartime. Is there a difference? So, yes, somebody, somebody say it. Even if you say yes, just say yes. You'll make me happy. Right, very good. So it's real. Because in war, people die. And we're at war, a cosmic battle where there are people who are dead. And we have the message of life. And so we have to ask, like, and how, about, how much do I not believe this, or how much do I hate people to not tell them how they can find fulfillment and life in Jesus Christ? Because that's what the ambassador is doing. He's, he's coming to bring peace. The role of the ambassador is not to bring war. The world's waged war against God. We're coming to bring peace, and it's the Prince of Peace. It's Jesus Christ. It's the message of hope and reconciliation that we bring. So we are new and we are ambassadors. So what do we do as an ambassador? God doesn't leave this for us to be unknown. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says this. It says, all this is from God. God's doing all of this. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So just let me just unpack this for a little bit. Make sure everybody understands what's going on. So what does it mean to be reconciled? It just means simply resolving differences. 
Now, if we understand the cosmic battle that the world is in, that the God of all creation is against them, do you think that people have any way of resolving a difference with the God of creation? No. Only God can resolve an issue. And so it's on God's side, and he says that he is reconciling the world to himself. So we can see the scope of this, that it is not just Americans that God loves. It says the whole world. I, mean, I heard John 3.16 like three times this morning, for God so loved the... But what we have to understand is the world's not a very lovely place. And when Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he was saying, God so loved all these people that hate him. Man, that's, that's the gospel, that, that God loved them. That God loves them in spite of them. So how does God reconcile? That's in the passage. He doesn't count their trespasses against us. I screw up, right? We all screw up. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says that he's no longer counting their trespasses against them. But then here we go. Our identity established, and now we're getting our, our marching orders it says that we have a ministry. We. Who's we? Remember, who's the we in this? All those who are in Christ, you have a ministry. The ministry is not the church. The ministry is not Pastor Bud Houston. It's not Pastor Steve Looper. The ministry belongs in your hands. You have been given a ministry. And it's even defined. It is the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Now, here's the thing that's like, you may be thinking, okay, well, I thought only God could reconcile. Yes, but check this out, right? So I've I've got almost five kids. Like, my wife is super pregnant right now. Like, super pregnant. Like, nine months, like, you know, the thermometer's about to pop out. And so my older kids, I let my older kids come to work with me sometimes. And the thing is, is whenever I let my kids come to work with me, do you think they're really doing anything? But do you think I give them just a little bit of task to make them feel like, hey, he's part, he or she's part of what's going on? God is our good, good father. And he's inviting us to go to work with him. It is God who's reconciling the world to himself. And he says, come along, kids, watch and see what I can do, right? How many of you guys take your kids to work and like you want to show off? God is a God of show off because he's bringing dead people to life and you're just like, wow. And God, God says, here, just, just here's, your little, here's your little thing. I'm doing everything, but here's your ministry. What is the ministry? The ministry of reconciliation. How does that play out? Well, if we look in the passage, it says that he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So what, what is a message? Like, we don't need to complicate this. A message is something that I say or I write, right? He's given us the message of reconciliation. So what is that message? The gospel. The gospel is the message of reconciliation. I mean, it even, even said, like, it just says it in the passage. All we got to do is look at the scripture. The scripture tells us what we need to know. It says, so back to verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. It's like, you know, through us, 
We implore you. This is what we say. We implore you. It's not, hey, we, we quietly whisper. It says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, I think, is one of the most beautiful pictures of, of the gospel in one verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's the deal. I think that there's probably three different types of people here this morning. And, and I, don't, I don't say this in, in a negative light or to shame anyone, because remember, if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. But I think there are probably people who are rooted in their identity. They know who they are in Christ. They are founded in the Scriptures they are being led by the Spirit. And you know what? They are committed to the core missionary task. They're not doing all that they do out of obligation or religious duty. They just know who they are. They know whose they are. And they're saying, hey, I'm going to follow the king. There's those types of people in our churches. And we want to we say, man, charge forward. Grab somebody and take them with you. Share with them what you have been given. But if we're honest, we know that that's not the majority of our churches. And I don't, I don't honestly know you guys, but I would say that's probably not the majority of those here this morning. I would say that a lot of you are in Christ. You know your identity. You spend time in the Word. You hope to be led by the Spirit. But we really don't see that played out in our lives as far as us showing that, hey, we have a ministry and we have a message. And so we have to say, what's, what's happened? What's happened to the church? Because the church is a sleeping giant. The latent potential to reach the world for Christ are sitting in chairs and pews this morning. So what's happened? If we come back, yeah, our identity is established, but guess what? Our identity has also been what? Challenged. Do you, do you think Satan's going to do something to Jesus that he's not going to do to us? Jesus actually said, they're going to do exactly to you what they've done to me. So Satan has challenged our identity and given us half-truths and lies. And I think one of those half-truths and lies is, you know what? We pay the pastor to do the work of the ministry. That's a lie. If we are rooted in the Scripture, it says that the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists and the shepherds and the apostles were given as a gift to the church to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. That's what the Word says. The Word doesn't say it's Pastor Steve's job to do the work of the ministry. The other lie I think we've bought into is, you know what, you know, you're talking about this message and sharing the gospel. I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's a lie straight out of the devil's mouth. Because you know what, I've studied the scriptures pretty hard on this, and I don't believe that evangelism is a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. You know, would it be okay for someone to come up here and say, oh, you know what, bud, I don't pray because that's not my spiritual gift right? Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Evangelism is a spiritual discipline. 
The enemy's also told us, you know what? Don't, don't do that. You're going to offend somebody. Friends, the gospel is offensive, right? The gospel, is, it stinks to people who are going to hell. So if we are not being offensive, we're not sharing the gospel with the world. The other thing that I think is just rampant, not necessarily a lie, but it's fear, and fear in itself is a liar. Satan has sown fear in our hearts of saying, what if they reject me? What if? What if I don't say something right? I'm just scared. What if I get persecuted for saying that? And we have all of this fear. And so all I want to say is, um, okay, was, was our Lord persecuted? Did people reject our Lord? Am I not willing to identify with Jesus Christ? in his suffering. Don't let fear, because you know what the Bible says about fear? God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power. Sound judgment. Friends, well, I just want, want you to hear, if that's where you're at, it's like, man, I know I'm in Christ. I'm just not living this out. It's because the enemy is challenging your identity. Where do we find our identity? Is to be in the word. It's to be led by the spirit. And once we get our identity right, the natural outflow then becomes the work of the ministry of reconciliation through the message of reconciliation. So a lot of times we, we, we go to, oh, we're not doing this, you need to do this. No, you just need to get rooted in your identity and tell the enemy to be gone. Because you have the one in you that is greater than him who is in the world. And what we saw in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, be gone. And what did the devil do? He left. So that's what we have to do. We have to say, get out of here. Quit with your lies. And you got to get in the word. And not in the word to grow your head, but to grow the miles on your feet as you share the gospel with those who are in our neighborhoods and to the nations. Because 1 Peter 2.9 says this, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, too often, um, I hear people stop right there, so I'm going to go on. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Why were we a called people? Why were we chosen? That you may boast on who God is because he's transferred us from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. Out of darkness into marvelous light. Now, the third people that I think that we may have here this morning is people who are not in Christ. And I want to tell you too that the enemy wants to lie to you as well. The enemy doesn't want you to know that if you are not in Christ, that you're at war with the God of heaven. Because we've all rebelled against God. And only God can fix that. We can't fix that. There's nothing we can do. It's not like, oh, I just need to be better. You know, better people go to hell. 
good people go to hell. And the thing is, is God loves you so much. For God so loved you that he gave his only son. Who is his son? He's unique. We talked about his identity. He's unique because he is God. He's unique to save because he came and lived the life that you and I couldn't live. He's unique to save because he died the death that you and I deserve. And we have hope because he rose from the grave and defeated sin, death. The enemy who wants to hold us down. So if you're here and you've not experienced that, like the passage I was reading, I just want to implore you, be reconciled to God. And you can't do that on your own. It's only in surrender. Whenever you think about war, what do you do when you can't do anything else? You surrender. You say, I'm no longer against you, God. I surrender. So that's the call for you if you are not in Christ and God is drawing you and you don't want to be at war with God because your life sucks. Man, sin hurts. You can be forgiven. We read that your trespasses will no longer be held against you. Wow. So as I come to a close, I just want to read the last couple verses um, or the first couple verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, right where we left off. So we just read to the end of chapter 5, and then we come to the very end, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Working together with him, we're going to work with daddy. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. Call out to him. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Can't help yourself. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So when we think about what we do with this, you're, you're one of three people here this morning. You are, man, you are after it. I encourage you to grab someone else and reproduce that into someone else. That's what we call discipleship. If you're, if you're in box two, I don't want to put you in a box. People two, how about that? And just get in the word. See Satan's lies as what they are. And then get your identity right. Then you can move forward. If you're here and if you're not, not in the family of God, I just want you to know, man, we love you. We're glad you are here, and we want to welcome you back. But the thing is, is we always want to implore you to surrender your life to Jesus. So there's one of those three things that you need to deal with this morning is, who can I bring along with me? Who's God calling me onto the journey with me? Two, how can I function and, and, and put my time and my energy into being in the Word until the word gets in me. Get in the word until the word gets in you. And then it's surrender. Let me pray for us, and we, we, will, we will respond to that and see what God wants to speak to us. Our God in heaven, Lord, you are a good, 
good Father. God, you call us to yourself first for salvation. And God, I know that for somebody that is today. Today is the day of salvation, Lord. I just pray that you would draw them to yourself. And God, you call us to work with you, God, that we are your ambassadors. God, you are making your appeal through us, God, and you give us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Not that we do any of that, God. You are reconciling the world to yourself. And God, you call us to reproduce that into the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, God. So help us bring to mind who is it that we can disciple if we're in a good spot. And God, for those who have been uh, blinded or lied to by Satan, God, just bring clarity from your word. Establish their identity in Christ. And God, for those who don't know you, Lord, I just pray, man, just let them know that you're loved, that they're loved. And God, I just pray that you do an amazing work in our time of response. And it's the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.